<laughs> so I'm going to read to you the first seven verses, although the message itself will only concentrate on verse 7. So Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father in heaven, as, as we hear the words of this passage, it speaks to us of how generous you are. That you are not a God who is stingy. You are not a God who... We have to kind of come and somehow twist your arm or manipulate you to get you to do something good. You're you're more like 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 an overflowing fountain that just pours forth blessing after blessing after blessing. And so, Father, what we really want now is we want your help so that we can position ourselves underneath the fountain. Lord, we know that the great obstacle between us receiving and this, this blessing, the obstacle between us and the blessing is, is not you, it's us. Lord, we are, we're very stubborn. Um, we, we are always seeking something from this world to satisfy us, even while you're pouring out your generous blessings. And so please help us, Lord. Please help me as the preacher. Please help all of us Give us grace, Lord, to be like baby birds who just open up our mouths to receive the good things that you have for us. Lord, give us grace that we might receive grace and rejoice in grace. And we pray, Father, that you would work so that we would exercise faith as we hear these words and that we would receive what you have for us and receive and enjoy the blessing. And Lord, if there's anyone who will hear this message who is not yet a person of faith in Christ, then we pray that today would be a salvation day for him or her. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. There is redemption for sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse, Ephesians 1, 7, is one of the most precious and powerful promises of redemption to be found in the Bible. But before I open this verse up, 
we need to deal with a potential problem that we would have. Like I said when I was praying that the greatest obstacle that we have in this sort of matter is not somehow convincing God to give, it's convincing ourselves to receive. And so God has this treasure for us, but the treasure is redemption. And the word redemption implies that we have a serious problem. And the danger that we face is that we might listen to what this text has to say, and it might simply pass us by because we say to ourselves, well, that all sounds great, but I don't need it. And so before we look at the promise of redemption, we need to recognize that we do need redemption. But why? Why do we need redemption? Well, the word redemption is a word that is used when you rescue somebody out of a terrible situation. It's, it's a word that you use when somebody has been sold as a slave and you buy them out of slavery. It's a word that you use when someone is a prisoner and you pay the ransom price to set them free. It's a word that you use when someone has committed a crime and they're facing a stiff penalty and someone comes and pays the penalty price to set them free. And of course, all that implies that somehow we're the slaves, we're the prisoners, we're the criminals. In fact, if you notice in verse 7, Paul speaks of redemption, at least in terms of what it produces, as the forgiveness of our trespasses. So that idea of someone who has broken the law and who is in trouble for it is very much what Paul is talking about here. We need redemption, my friends, and we need redemption because of what Paul describes in Ephesians 5, 6, where he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's a description of us in our natural state. Now, when it says the sons of disobedience, that's, a, that's kind of a, a Bible expression that means people whose lives are characterized by a refusal to obey God. Now, I know some people would say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not going out and doing anything terrible. But listen, apart from God's grace, even when we do the things we're supposed to do, like let's say we're faithful to our spouse or we don't steal or something like that, we're not doing it to please God. We're doing it because it seems right to us. We are disobedient. We don't live our lives for him. And as a result, we're in rebellion against him. And Paul says in 5.6 that the wrath of God is coming. The anger, the judgment of God is coming upon the human race and that's why we need redemption. Well, the wrath of God is being revealed even now, Paul says in Romans 1.18. But Paul envisions a day, the day that in Romans 2 verse 5 he describes as the day of wrath, when the righteous judgment of God will be revealed. Judgment day. 
And so, my friends, we, we are in a situation, our case is very much like the case of a man as it's described at, towards the end of Exodus 21, where this man is, he's the owner of livestock, and he has a bull, and that bull he knows is dangerous, but he is negligent. He does not take proper precautions to fence that bull in and keep him penned in. So the bull gets out, and the bull kills someone. And now, under the law of God, the owner of the bull has forfeited his life. And we're in a similar position. We have broken God's law, and we deserve to be destroyed under the wrath of God. But the law of God, the law of Moses, allowed in certain situations for a ransom to be paid. And do you know what a ransom means? It means a redemption price. And so we read in Exodus 21.30, If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. And because the price is paid, he goes free and he doesn't die. My friends, this is what God is saying to us when it says, in him we have redemption. It is saying, this is what we need. Our lives are forfeit because of our sins. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And you might say, well, frankly, that that offends me. I, I don't like that. I don't think I'm that bad. Well, if that's your situation, my friend, then it's my hope and it's my prayer that God would take you from being so concerned about what offends you and he would change you so that you become concerned about the fact that you've offended God. But God has provided redemption and it's good news for those who know that they need it. And so let's look at this promise. Let's look at this promise in Ephesians 1.7. We're just going to take it a couple of words at a time and open up its meaning to see that praise God. Praise God. He doesn't just give us what we deserve, but there is redemption for sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see in this verse is the person. The person in whom there is redemption. Notice that the verse starts, in him we have redemption, in him. And if if you read back in the context, it should be clear who the him is, right? It's in Jesus Christ. And these, these words forge a link between redemption and Jesus Christ, an unbreakable link that is so solid that there is no redemption to be found in anyone else except in Jesus Christ. But if you are in Jesus Christ, there is nothing for you except redemption. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man Jesus Christ, or the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. My friends, I know that we live in a day and age where people proclaim many gods, and people will talk about many ways to God. That is not what God says. 
God's word says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And if you would have redemption, it is only to be found in him, in Jesus Christ. These these little words, in him, also link verse 7 to the verses that come before it, to what Paul has already said about this person, Jesus Christ. Who is he? Well, we we see in verse 2 that together with God the Father, he is the source and giver of all grace and peace. And as I read earlier in verse 3, we see that he is the Son of God, because God is described as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 also tells us that this Christ is the one in whom God has given every spiritual blessing. He's taken all of the blessings, all of the treasure that he's going to shower upon his children, and he's gathered it all together, and he's put it in one person, in Jesus Christ. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus Christ is the center of God's eternal decree or plan for salvation. Verse 5 tells us that he is the son in whom we have adoption as sons or daughters and are brought into the family of God. And verse 6, verse 6 is so beautiful. Look at the end of verse 6 because it talks about how God has given us this, this grace in the beloved. He doesn't even say Jesus or Christ. He just, it's enough. It's enough. If, if you want to know who this is, you can just describe him as the beloved. Who are we talking about? This is the one the Father loves. As if there's nobody else in the universe. The, the infinitely lovely object of the Father's infinitely affectionate love. This is who we're talking about. And so this is the person in whom God has given us redemption. It is Jesus Christ. And, and it's so sweet because that means that this amazing person has come to join himself to us. Now, let me explain what I mean. In the Bible, redemption is the job of a particular person. And that person is called a kinsman redeemer. It's a member of the family. And as a member of the family, he has the responsibility to rescue other family members when they get themselves into some kind of trouble. You can see that in passages like Leviticus 25.25 or the story of Ruth, remember? There's a kinsman redeemer, somebody in the family who can rescue Ruth and Naomi out of their troubles. But this is the amazing thing. The Son of God was not originally part of our family. He's the, the Son of the Father. He has no obligation to us, but he chose to become part of the family. He chose to become our kin, our our brother, 
You say that's, that's not appropriate to say. You shouldn't talk about the Son of God being our brother. Listen, this is what the Bible teaches. In fact, in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, it, it says that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers or sisters. Hebrews 2, verse 11, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Because he's taken on our very flesh and blood, dear friends. He has entered into our family. Why? Because our family, the human race, the people of God, the elect of God, we are in serious trouble. And so Jesus took to himself human nature. He entered into the covenant family of God so that all of God's people would be redeemed. This is amazing. This is our Redeemer. And Paul says that he writes these things in verse 6, quite literally, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he has graced us in the Beloved. So what does Paul want us to do with this? What does God want us to do with this? He wants us to praise God. He wants us to see the glory of his grace and to give him praise for it. And so let's do that. Let's let's see, let's open our eyes and recognize the amazing person in whom God has given us redemption. Folks, God didn't just send us a man to redeem us. He didn't just send us an angel, as amazing as that would be. God has given us redemption in the person of his Son, his only begotten Son, the one who shares in the same divine nature with the Father, one almighty God in the Trinity. He's given us the one who is worth more than all heaven and earth combined. And he said, here, this is my gift. This is for your redemption. Marvel at the love of this God. He has given us the best that he had, his most beloved, and he has given him to us to redeem us. And therefore, we should say, like it says in Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb that was slain. We should praise our God. We should sing his praises. We should be zealous to serve him, to honor him, to glorify him, because he's given us his son. That is the person in whom we have redemption. Now, the second thing that we see in this text is the people who have redemption. The people who have redemption. Notice that Paul says in the verse, in him we have redemption. But who is this we? This is a crucial question, isn't it? This is the question of to whom does this redemption belong? Who has the liberty and the freedom that God has given through his Son, and who does not? Well, we find the answer by looking at the context. We always interpret Scripture in context. So who in the context is the we here? Well, go back to look at verse 4 again. Paul says, he chose 
us. You see, we, us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And therefore, the we in this verse, the we who has redemption, the we to whom God has given his son and for whom he's given his son, they are the people that God chose before he created the world for salvation. The Father chose them to be holy and blameless before him, and the Son redeemed them to be holy and blameless before him. For you see, and this is part of the beauty and the glory of God's grace, the Son came not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. The Son came in all that he did to do his Father's will. And what was his Father's will? His Father's will was that his Son would save and redeem those whom the Father gave to him before time began. The Father has a people. The Father has, we call them the elect. And the Son has redeemed them. You know, part of the reason why we should praise the glory of God's grace is because we recognize that everything that happens with regard to salvation is according to the will of God. It is all because he chose. It is all because he willed and he made this choice before we even existed. Redemption belongs to a particular people, my friends, and it is the people of God's choice, and therefore we should praise him. Listen, if, if we were the ones who chose who this redemption would belong to, who would get the glory for it? We would. It would be up to us. In the very least, we would share part of the glory with God. But because God will be praised and glorified, he saves those whom he has chosen. But I imagine someone might say, but but how would I know? How how could I know if, if, if I'm one of the chosen? Because this is an important question, isn't it? I mean, this is heaven and hell. How would I know if I am amongst those that the Father chose and that the Son redeemed? Well, my friends, you you don't need to somehow climb up into heaven and and open God's secret book or, or, or somehow get into God's mind as if such a thing were possible. God has revealed it. God has revealed it. And the answer is we know who the elect are Well, look at verses 13 and 14. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says there, In him, there's that again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Dear friends, do you want to know if you're one of the elect? 
Do you want to know if you're one of those chosen by God and redeemed by Christ? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your household. That's what God says. The book of Acts, chapter 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, you shall be saved. And this is a promise for you and your household, which means you men, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you ladies, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you children, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The promise is for everyone, young and old. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you come to Christ with saving faith, if you receive him and rest your hope upon him as your only savior from sin, you are amongst the elect of God. You belong to those who have been redeemed And this promise belongs to you. In him we have redemption through his blood. My friends, it is through his blood. It is through his blood. And that's the third thing that we see in this text it's the price. It's the price. It's not just the person in whom there is redemption. It's not just the people who have redemption. It's the price at which God purchased redemption. This reminds us of what Christ said in the Lord's Supper when he instituted it before he died. And he said in Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word blood in the Bible is commonly used for a violent death and also for a sacrifice for sins. And both those are true of Jesus. Jesus suffered a violent death. He was murdered, brutally killed. He was slaughtered. But he died as a sacrifice for sins. You know, the Bible says of Christians, you were bought with a price. This is how Christ redeemed us. He bought us at the price of his blood. It says in Matthew 20, verse 28, and again in Mark 10, 45, that Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many. And folks, if Christ shed his blood to redeem sinners, if Christ shed his blood as the price for our redemption, if Christ paid that price to redeem us, May we never, ever think that we can pay the price ourselves. And so away with the idea that that through our prayers 
and, or through money that we give or some good deed that we do or penance that we make, that we could make satisfaction for our sins. Listen, if we could make satisfaction for our sins, if, if we could pay the price ourselves, why would the Father send his Son to die on the cross? Why would he pour out his own life's blood in agony if it wasn't the only way? John Calvin says, whenever we intend to seek God's favor and mercy, let us fasten the whole of our minds on the death and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may there find the means by which to appease God's wrath. And further, Seeing that our sins are done away by such a payment and satisfaction, let us understand that we cannot bring anything of our own by which to be reconciled with God. Nor should we think that we need to. I mean, what more could the Father ask as an atoning sacrifice than the death of his own Son? John Owen has pointed out that that although Christ died specifically and intentionally as the substitute for God's chosen people, the sacrifice that he offered is of infinite value. The death of Christ, since he is the Son of God, is of such immeasurable value and preciousness that if God were to create 10 million earths and they were to all be filled with the worst of sinners, the death of Jesus would still be sufficient. That is why we are able to say to anyone, there is room at the cross for you because his sacrifice is so valuable. My friends, listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what heinous, horrible, shameful things you may have done or said or thought in the secret places of your own heart. The blood of the Son of God is enough to wash you clean. The blood of the Son of God is enough to take your sins and to pay fully for all that God requires. And so if, if, you, if you're listening to this this evening and, and you're somebody who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, if, if you're not somebody, maybe you've been thinking about it, maybe you've been learning, but you have not yet cast yourself upon the Savior, then, then I invite you. Yes, I even command you and call you in the name of Jesus Christ to join the church of God as we confess what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Listen, though that your sins may have stained you deeply, the blood of Jesus is enough to make you clean in God's sight and to bring you into the fullness of a relationship with him. Which is the fourth thing that we see in this text. 
Because after saying that we have redemption through his blood, Paul speaks to us about the pardon and the peace that is given in redemption. As Paul puts it, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And, you know, redemption brings a whole host of benefits, but this is the core. This is the center. This is the foundation upon everything else is built. The word translated forgiveness can be used for release or liberty. If someone is released from some burdensome debt that he owes or taxes that he has to pay or, or he's, he's bound as a slave or some other burdensome obligation. And so in the forgiveness of our trespasses, God releases people from the legal requirement that they be punished for their sins. That's why one word that, that can be used to explain this forgiveness is the word pardon. I know today we might use the word pardon like pardon me, excuse me, but I'm thinking here of the word pardon in its legal sense. You know what I'm talking about? A person who has been convicted of a crime is able to be released from all of the legal penalties and consequences of what he has done when a proper authority issues him a pardon. And folks, this is a legal reality. This is not just a matter of feelings. This is something that is entered into the books. So that even though this person has been judged guilty of this crime, he's now set free from the legal guilt and liability. And so in the human world, this, this can bring huge Liberty to someone. I mean, someone who commits a serious crime can face financial penalties. He can face incarceration. In some countries, he could be physically beaten. He could face death itself. And furthermore, even if he's not killed, even, even if after his incarceration, he may have to face, for example, he may not be able to vote anymore. He, he might not be able to, to use a firearm and go hunting or something like that. There are all these consequences that crimes bring. But my friends, when a person is fully pardoned, he is released from the legal consequences of what he has done. And when God pardons his people, it is as though... And this is what Paul describes in Colossians chapter 2. It is as though he takes the legal document that lists all the ways that we have violated God's law and he nails it to the cross because it's been paid in full. And you're free. You're free. You're pardoned. But forgiveness brings with that pardon also a change in relationship. A change in relationship. And that's why we can call it pardon and peace. Because peace is more than just a lack of conflict or war. True peace, my friends, is a restored relationship of harmony and friendship. 
And when God forgives us, he doesn't just release us from the legal penalties. No, he brings us near to himself. He accepts us. He he forgives us personally. And Paul explains this in Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And then later in verse 16, he says that Christ died that he might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God. And so see that image. We were far from God, not in terms of physical distance, because God's everywhere. And he's everywhere we've ever been in terms of location. This is a relational distance. Our sins offended God, and rightly so. They broke the relationship. We burned our bridges with God, and there were walls there. But my friends, when God forgives us the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, those walls are knocked down. And God builds a bridge between us and himself, and he brings us together. And just like Jesus portrays so beautifully in the parable of the prodigal son, when the repentant son comes back home to his father, he's greeted with a hug and a kiss. All is well. My son is home. My daughter is back. This is what God does through the forgiveness that he gives to us. He brings us near to himself again. He welcomes us. He loves us. He celebrates us. And all the offense of all the things that we've done is gone. It's gone. Paul says in Colossians 2 that he has forgiven us All our trespasses, verse 13, is complete. We go from being enemies of God to friends of God. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done upon the cross. But I think I I might imagine someone saying, but but my, my, my conscience... My conscience tells me of the things that I've done. My conscience reminds me. I know, even if other people, most other people, they just don't know. But I know the things that I have done. I know the things that I have said. And my conscience constantly reminds me. My sins are ever before me. But God says, your conscience is not your redemption. You are not your own redemption. Look to my son. Look to the cross and wash your conscience in the blood of Christ. If you want to know, believer, what God thinks of you, don't look at yourself. Look at Christ and what he did for you. But someone else might say, But my circumstances, you know, my circumstances, things are going so poorly for me. 
So many bad things have happened to me. I've prayed these prayers. It doesn't seem like there's anything happening. Sometimes life just seems like a cruel joke. And I know that I'm a sinner. What else can I conclude but God is against me? And again, God says, don't look to your circumstances. Your redemption is not in your circumstances. Look to my son. If you don't understand what I'm doing with your life, but you want to know what I think of you, believer in Jesus Christ, look at what I did for you 2,000 years ago. I love you. I accept you because I have given my son for you. My friends, this calls for faith. Let's be honest. This forgiveness that God promises to us goes against the grain of our experience. In fact, it may be that you have sinned against other people and you have done wrong against them and they have not forgiven you. But my friends, even if people don't forgive you, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God forgives you. And he is your judge, not them. We must exercise faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ because redemption is through his blood and it consists in its effects of forgiveness of our trespasses. And this should change. This should change the way we view our whole lives. This should cause us to see that God has a purpose for us. And that's the last thing we see in this text. We've seen the person, the person in whom there is redemption, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the people, God's elect, whom he brings to trust in his son when they hear the gospel. We have seen the price, Christ's blood. And fourthly, we have seen the pardon and the peace. But now we see the purpose for which God gave us redemption. Fifthly, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. What a marvelous phrase that is, the riches of his grace. Charles Hodge says that the riches of his grace is the overflowing abundance of unmerited love, inexhaustible in God and freely accessible through Christ. And there's a sense in which all that we've been talking about tonight is, is about the riches of his grace, right? I mean, what could be richer than the fact that God has given us his own son? What could be richer than that God has chosen us for salvation before time began? What could be richer than the fact that Christ paid the ultimate price in his blood? 
What could be richer than the fact that God gives us a full and free pardon and peace with Him, no matter what? But my friends, when when Paul says, according to the riches of His grace, I think that he has primarily something beyond even all this in mind. The one reason I think that is because Paul goes on in the next verses to talk about how he's lavished the riches of his grace upon us according to his purpose and his plan for the whole universe to make it all center on Christ. In other words, when it says according to the riches of his grace, it's saying God has redeemed you, children of God, because he has got a great purpose and plan that can be summed up in the phrase, the riches of his grace. But what does that mean? What does the phrase mean? Well, we find the exact same phrase in chapter 2 and verse 7. And in chapter 2, verse 7, after Paul talks about how he raised us up, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ, It says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, here it is, riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying here, to put Ephesians 1-7 next to Ephesians 2-7, is that God has redeemed us through Christ Because it is his purpose that for all eternity, in the age after age after age after age, that we will live with God in eternal life to pour out upon us the riches of his love and kindness and goodness and mercy and affection and tenderness and generosity. He has saved us so that he could love us forever. You see, my friends, redemption is not just what we're saved from. Redemption is what we're saved for. And we're saved for. Well, how does the catechism put it? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think about a scenario where um, let's let's imagine a very wealthy man comes to uh, he's he's not from this country he comes into the country he meets a woman and he 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 sets his love upon this woman she has huge problems she's made poor choices and as a result she is in an enormous amount of debt. She's about to lose everything, and she suffers from a very serious, potentially deadly illness. But he loves her. And so he begins to spend an enormous amount of money to rescue her. He pays off her entire debt, and he spends even more money so that through medical science, her her illness is completely cured. 
And as he's doing this, he is wooing her, and he is winning her heart. And at the end of this process where her debt is paid and her disease is healed, he, he takes her out to dinner, and, and he, he gives her the ring. And she's weeping with joy and, and almost disbelief. She cannot imagine why this man would love her so much. And she says, honey, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm afraid you're just going to end up spending all your money just on me to rescue me from my problems. And he says to her, my dear, as I told you before, I am a prince. I am the son of who is the heir of my father's kingdom. You have no idea how rich I am. And as I have been communicating with my father, he has been so pleased with all that I have done for you that he wants you to come with me now. I will take you back to my kingdom and I am going to spend the rest of my life showering my riches upon you to show you how much I love you. My friends, that's what Jesus Christ does for his bride. He he doesn't just redeem us from, from hell, which would be amazing unto itself, but then say, well, you know, go have a nice life. Tell me how it works out. I mean, think about it. Redemption. Redemption, that ties in with Israel, right? God redeemed Israel from slavery. But why? So that he could bring Israel to himself, to be his people, to live with him in the land. What is that? It's all a picture. It's a storybook picture, so to speak, even though it really happened in history. It was a way that God was saying, this is what I'm going to do for my people. I will redeem you. I will save you from all that you have coming upon you because of your sins, but that's just the beginning. I'm going to spend the rest of our lives together, which, folks, when you're talking about someone who's already risen from the dead, this is not going to end. I'm going to spend the rest of eternity showing you how much I love you, and trust me, he says, you have no idea how rich I am. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 2, verse 7. Let me just say it again, because this is hard to believe. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My friends... God has a purpose in our redemption, and it is beyond our wildest dreams. And therefore, given the fact that through union with Christ, by connecting us to Christ, by making us in Christ, God's elect people that he has given saving, to whom he's given saving faith, Since we've been bought with the blood, 
since we've been purchased by the blood of the Son of God, we have pardon from all the legal guilt of our sins. We have peace with God, and God has a purpose for us to give us the riches of his grace forever and ever and ever. Would you agree that this gives Christians reason to say, praise God. There is redemption for sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Therefore, let me conclude with a few practical applications. First of all, let us live for the praise of the glory of his grace. Let us live for the praise of the glory of his grace. I love what it says in Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, if you've been redeemed by the Lord, say so. You need to declare it. This isn't some word of faith thing. This is the truth of God's word. This is you declaring that you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, that you are forgiven of your sins. This is you declaring not your own praises, but the praises of your God. We know this stuff. You know, that it may well be that I haven't said anything to you tonight that you didn't already know. But my friends, how often do you praise God for this? Shouldn't, shouldn't we make it a point not to go through a day of our lives without saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity? Or how about, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us? Psalm 103. When we are down and discouraged and depressed, we're still redeemed, my friends. When we are tempted to complain, to be bitter, to doubt the goodness of our God, we are still redeemed. Let us declare the doctrine of redemption to ourselves. Let us declare it to each other. Let us give God praise each day of our lives because we have reason to praise the Lord. God's purpose for your life, child of God, is riches of grace. You have reason to praise him. Even if you're poor today, even if you're suffering today, you have reason to praise him. So live for the praise of his glory. Number two, let us fight against sin as those who have been redeemed. Let us fight against sin. When Christ shed his blood in order to pay the price to redeem us from the condemnation of our sins, he opened the prison doors. He gave us liberty, both from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And therefore, when you are convicted of some attitude or action that violates God's law, Don't let Satan lock you up in the prison of guilt and shame. Christian, you are free in Christ. Live like a free man. Live like a free woman. 
If Christ has set you free, you shall be free indeed, my friends. Stop believing the devil's lie that just because you did wrong, you are back under the condemnation of God. When he comes with shackles in his hands to chain you up and take you away, telling you what a worthless, shameful thing you are, you say, it's true. But Jesus is my redeemer. And devil, if you want to deal with me, you need to talk to him first. My friends, we should live in the freedom that God has given to us. And part of that means we should take it on faith that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we're not slaves of sin anymore. Sin is not your master. Jesus is. He owns you, for he bought you with his blood. You cry out to him, and you get back into the battle. You fight against that sin. You do what is right. You stop doing what's wrong, not on your own strength, but looking to Jesus. He is your strength. Third, let us invite others to discover the glory of God's grace. Listen, the power of this redemption touches people's lives through the gospel message. It is through the word of God that people come to hear this, they come to trust in Christ, and through that faith, their shackles fall off, their heart is set free, they rise and go forth and follow him. My friends, we need to tell them that message. One format to do that is this. Invite your friends, pray for your neighbors, bring people to church to hear the regular preaching of the Word of God. Invite them to other events that the church does where you know some scripture truth is going to be shared. Why do that? Because faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. They have to hear. They have to hear. Talk to them. Share things with them. And if you see some level of interest in someone, invite them to church. Ask them if they want to do a little Bible study with you. Listen, you don't have to be a theologian to share the gospel message. Children can evangelize each other. In fact, children can evangelize adults. Invite other people to discover the glory of God's grace. You can't save them, but you can bring them the message that God uses to save people. And I'll tell you something, Jesus Christ is still saving his chosen people today. And you better believe that since he bought them with his blood, he already laid his life down for his sheep, he is going to save them. And so you just go forth and you be a servant of Christ and you spread the gospel and you wait and watch Jesus work. And then fourth, let us have confidence in the future of the church because of the glory of his grace. Oh, my friends, we are, as Paul says, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. Christ loves the church. 
Christ's purpose for the church is summed up in that phrase, riches of grace. And so when when we look at ourselves and we think, man, I I don't know. (laughs) We we see ourselves and we, we see our weaknesses. We're honest with ourselves. We can get discouraged. But folks, let's not forget our redemption was never in ourselves. Our future is not based upon our past. Our future is based upon Christ's past. And so have confidence that the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Let's not forget who it was that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It wasn't a pastor. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. My friends, Satan has been trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. And it has been a war. But he's losing. He is losing. All around the world, there are people who are worshiping God, who are trusting in Jesus Christ. All around the world, the church of Jesus Christ is persevering. And I'm not trying to get eschatological here, but even if, some of you don't even know what that word means, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to get end times-ish, okay? But even if the Antichrist himself were to arise, he can't stop the church of Jesus Christ. Don't be intimidated by what's going on politically in our nation. Don't be cast down by what's happening economically in our nation. Christ doesn't need our politics. He doesn't need our economy. He's got the spirit of the living God. Jesus has been building the church of Jesus Christ through his word for 2,000 years. The devil has never been able to stop him, and he never will be able to. So have confidence. The church of Jesus Christ will not fail. It will prevail, and the reason is, not because of our programs, not because of our skill, not because of this or that, that we are, that we do. It's because in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this precious and powerful promise We pray that you would teach us to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We ask, Father, that you would take this gospel promise and that you would shoot it like an arrow of love into the hearts of those who are lost, that people would come to trust in Christ and that they would receive this redemption that he bought for them. We also pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen the hearts of your children. Your word says that our hearts are strengthened with grace. So feed us 
Make us bolder. Lift up our heads, Lord. And Father, when the devil does come and tries to take us away to the prison of guilt, Lord, help us to look to Jesus, our liberator, our redeemer, and our friend. In Jesus' name, amen.